All right, welcome back for another weekly episode of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to supply you with your weekly dose of boxing talk. My name is Will Henry. My name is Daniel Lee. And my name is Lavelle Jackson. Yes, sir. So today we got the big game. Um, you know, last time we, we talked about football. Danny, you made some outstanding predictions. So since we had a game coming up today, and I know the podcast will air out, on Monday, but um, what are you guys' predictions for this for the Super Bowl? You know, it's very difficult to bet against Tom Brady, like I said before. But the Chiefs and and Mahomes, they are very good at football, and they have you know they have a lot of a lot of weapons. So, man, it's hard to go against them. But I'm inclined to I'm, I'm inclined to go. Chiefs here. Uh, like Danny said, um, it's hard to bet against Tom Brady, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, however, I want uh, the Chiefs to win. But um, if I had to be a betting man, I'm betting on the Buccaneers. Oh, okay, that's that's two solid predictions right there. And you really can't go wrong in choosing either side because you've got two outstanding quarterbacks. You've got the LeBron James of football, and then you got um, – I think they were making a comparison, like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, um, and football, you know what I mean, like versus each other. So you can't go wrong with the quarterbacks. I was going to say initially that I was going to – go with the Buccaneers to win, but my heart is with the Chiefs. I want the Chiefs to win. But I can go ahead and say that I believe that the Chiefs will win just based on the fact that Danny, he's been getting things right lately, so I'm going to go in the direction. <laughs> Watch this be the one time. <laughs> no, nah, man, you, you've been accurate on some of these predictions because remember, you got the football one correct, and then also you were the only one to pick Spence to beat Garcia. So, you know, I got to give you your props on that. So, um, this week we got about seven topics that we want to discuss. Um, one of them, I guess we'll start off with the recent comments of one of the Charlo brothers. So, Jamal recently, um, he was, well, let's back up a little bit. Jamal Charlo was recently challenged by David Benavidez to fight. And initially he accepted it. But this past week, he stated that he's not fighting anyone who's under 25, and then he's also not fighting anyone that hasn't been vaccinated, um, haven't been, haven't been COVID-19 vaccinated. What are you guys' uh, thoughts on some of the comments that Jamal made recently? I, I say fight him or fight Benedictus or don't say nothing about it. I say don't talk unless you're willing to fight. I mean, um. I don't know if it's the, the the social media era or it's just that, or I don't, I'm sure boxers back in the day would say some of the same things, but I'm not sure if I, they would say it to this extent that, you know, uh, things are done today. I mean, he, he made this Jamal Charlo. He made this, uh, you know, this, this big case about fighting David Benavidez, a fight that if you, you listen to my, my uh, comments last week, I said could could be good for him, especially from a historical standpoint. Um, and and you know it's almost like he's teasing greatness, saying I'm chasing greatness, and then it says uh, nah. And it's 
almost like um well, it's, it's almost like one of those things that I don't like about boxers today. It's almost like they bring up other names just to keep them, you know, keep the name, the news and relevant. Now, it's good for us because, you know, we like to talk talk about boxing and, and, and you know, bring out some talking points. But it's bad when, you know, you, 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 you're left desiring these fights that probably are not never going to happen. Right. And so, I mean, if you look at what he's saying, the fact that. I mean, so this week he said that he's not fighting anyone under 25. Then he also said, well, let's let's start with that. Now, <laughs> again, that's not justification to not fight somebody. You know what I mean? Like, and I know that, see, the thing, here's the thing. They have that tough guy image, you know, lions only and things of that nature. So you can't appear that you're backing down. And, but that's really basically backing down because some of the things that you mentioned with being under 25, if a person is ready, if they're a professional fighter, he's had a belt. And I think that even if they fall, I would think that Benavides will be favored. So that doesn't make sense. If you feel like you can beat the guy, then just go ahead and sign to fight him. You know, that's all it is. But to break down these comments of what he's saying, he's he's not fighting someone under 25. Think about this. When he won his belt against uh, Cornelius K-9 Brunders, he was about 24, 25. What if Brunders would have said, well, I'm not fighting anybody that's under. Let's say, for instance, he was 25. I'm not fighting nobody that's under 24 or 26 um, and higher. After. Like, that wouldn't make any sense. He would have been able to get his belt. Also, keep in mind, his brother just recently fought a couple of years ago, Eric Salubin, who was like 22. And so he didn't have a problem taking on that task. I mean, you think about guys like Floyd Mayweather was 21 when he won his belt. Canelo probably was like 19 or 20 when he won his belt. So that just doesn't make sense. The other thing, he's not fighting someone who isn't vaccinated. Wouldn't you just want the guy to not test positive for COVID? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, who, who, you think, who does he think he is? Uh, Dr. Fauci? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. Man. And so he really has an out. He just has to you know, not really try to keep up this tough guy image and think about what you're saying before you say it. Because he could simply just say, you know, I'm not moving up to 168 unless it's for the Canelo fight. And I think everybody would be okay with that. You know, he can also say, I have unfinished business at 160, you know. And then he could also ask Benavides, I mean, you want me to come up to 168, won't you go to 175 to fight Bivol or better be you know, those are things that are plausible. And, um, you know, the last thing I'm going to say about this, just based on his response of what he said, it has me questioning why he hasn't fought guys like Jacobs and then also the Andre fight, why those fights weren't made yet or why they haven't happened yet. Right. I don't see any mention of fighting who he should be looking to fight. And a lot of mention and a lot and now a lot of qualifiers on who's someone who it would not be ideal for him to fight, you know, because, you know, you bring up vaccine, the logic, you know, for me, the logic then becomes, okay, so was Devrianchenko vaccinated? And which the easy answer is no, because it wasn't out then. Um, and so it's like, well, why, why would you enforce this now? Or if Canelo was, you know, approach him and say, yo, Charlo, how about we fight in May after I get this mandatory out of the way? I'm not getting vaccinated, though. Is Charlo going to be like, mm, 
yeah, you weren't vaccinated, so I'm not going to go with that. So, like you said, well, he has an out, and what he's using is, is, is very shaky logic. Boxing is a young man's game, and, you know, you could argue he's in a prime, but a, a lot of young guys are, are game fighters, and, and they're getting a lot of attention now, especially in the social media era. And so, uh, you know, I don't know much about being a professional fighter, but what I do know is my understanding is you're supposed to fight the best person. You're supposed to fight who's put in front of you. And you typically want to fight the best people. And so the best people happen to be within a certain age bracket. That should not be a disqualifier for either professional fighter. Does anybody else have anything on that? Or? What I would say is, is just like what we all are saying. It's like, you know, that you're going to have guys who have early primes. For instance, what if Trevor Burberry said, well, I'm not fighting Mike Tyson, he's too young. You know what I mean? It's like, it just doesn't make sense. The statements that he's making is illogical as a fighter to like put these stipulations in. Now, if he says something like, I'm not fighting somebody who doesn't um, like do Olympic style drug testing, makes sense. You know what I mean? Like those are things that it actually mm-hmm. hamper you in the ring and it could actually help somebody else, like give somebody else an unfair advantage. But some of the stuff he's saying, that wouldn't do that. And it, like I said, it's just illogical, uh, an Ill- illogical reason to not fight somebody. You're a fighter, dude. Yeah, I have something else to, to add. And uh, like we all said, don't talk about it. Uh, be about it. Um, we know both the Charlos like to talk. It's interesting because I used I favor Jamal more than I used to Jermail. But when I look at them, uh, as I stated, you know, um, before in, in one of our earlier episodes, there, there's going to be times where, where they're going to break off and separate from each other. And I think it's turned out that way when you look at Jermail's career, where he's pretty much on his way to unify in 154, you know, and Jamal, he's still looking for those big fights at 160. Um, and of course, the, the fight with David Benavidez, of course, that's at 168. That would be an interesting fight for him. And you know what? If he never would have mentioned David Benavidez, no one would probably care about it. No one would talk about it because, you know, they're fighting two different weight classes and we don't expect uh, Jamal Charlo to fight David Benavidez. But since he brought that name up, now it's becoming an issue. He's making it worse for himself. And and he it's almost like it's similar to another fighter on, on one of our topics we're going to talk about. Don't bring up names that you don't – that you're going to turn down. It's bad for the sport. Mm-hmm. So moving forward, um, the WBA named Manny Pacquiao champion in recess, and they promoted your Dennis Ugas to super champion. That means that he now has one of the major belts in the welterweight division. And there have been um, a small back and forth with him and Errol Spence, where both have expressed interest in a unification fight. You guys have any thoughts on on that potential fight? Yeah, so Errol Spence versus Yudanis Ugas would be a really, really good scrap. So Errol Spence um, is five nine and a half, almost five ten, seventy two inch reach, southpaw. Yudanis Ugas out of Cuba is orthodox, five nine, sixty nine inch reach. Errol Spence has the wins over Danny Garcia, 
Sean Porter, Mikey Garcia, Lamont Peters, Glenn and Kel Brook. Ugas is 26-4-12. He has the controversial loss. I think a lot of people have him winning against Sean Porter um, in that fight that they had a couple years ago. He's had several losses, more so at 140. Probably the most known fighter that he lost to at 140 was Amir Imam. But since he's moved up to 147, the only loss that he's had was against Sean Porter. Ugas is, is an aggressive, come forward fighter. Um, he, he applies a, a lot, a tremendous amount of pressure. Errol Spence, on the other hand, undefeated, has the fundamentals, nice, heavy, right jab, applies ta- more of a tactical pressure uh, than Ugas. Great body puncher, and he's a softball. So this right here would be for three of the main belts, as you stated. Terrence Crawford holds the WBO belt. So now to me, this is a 65-35 fight in the favor of Errol Spence. This is going to be two of the biggest, strongest welterweights that we have in boxing right now. The reason why I give Spence the edge is because Spence is just a little bit more accurate and his punches have a tad bit more they're a tad bit more damaging, and then they're a tad bit more crisper than Ugas. And I think he'll get there quicker, and he'll do more damage to Ugas as the fight um, progresses. Now, Ugas is going to be tough. You know, I, I saw the pain in his eyes when they gave the decision to Sean Porter, and he just left the ring. So I know that if he gets another opportunity to fight somebody like an Errol Spence, that can do a tremendous amount for um, not only his career but just his life you know um, and his family now and like i said the only thing is is that ugas is going to be right in front of spence and so with that being said when you're in front of spence spence he just gets too much leverage on those punches when his opponent is right there for him to hit and so i think that that's going to bust ugas up and i see this fight Let's see Ugas get some serious damage done to him in this fight, um, although he's going to be very game. But like I said, I have a 65-35 in favor of Errol the True Spence. I agree with your assessment of their styles and as well as the your prediction in general. I do think this will be a better fight than a lot of people uh, will give it credit for. Um, you know, uh, I you know Ugas arguably beat Sean Porter, and he looked very good against Sean Porter. And so I think this will be one of, for me personally, this will be one of the tougher fights that Spence has had in recent years. So uh, I'm sure he's not going to sleep on him. But um, I do think it'll be, I, I think the decision will be clear. I think it'll be a unanimous decision um, in Spence's favor. But I, I think it'll be um, an exciting fight to watch. Um, I, I'm not mad at this fight. I would add, though, that I'm a little disappointed in the top rank camp. I said this in a previous, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I said this in a previous episode, that I thought a good chess move on Terrence Crawford's part, if he really wants to fight Spence, would have been to to try to get that Manny Pacquiao fight. That way you have two of the major belts in your division, assuming he were to beat Pacquiao. Um, and then you can come to Spence at this point, like, hey, I fought somebody on your side of the street. I got two belts. You want to unify, come see me. 
Um, they did not take advantage of that, and Pacquiao has not, you know, um, officially had a fight name in the welterweight division. Um, it's looking like he's going to fight Garcia now, and so this is this is just what happens. So I don't know what that plan is on that side of the street at this point, but um, you know, but Spence still has some good fights that he can he can take, and I think this would be one of those good ones. I actually like this fight. Um, we all know what Errol Spence is about. Um, great Southpaw. He has a, a a superb jab, superb uh, body puncher. You know, he doesn't seem to have lost much from the accident, as we saw in the uh, Danny Garcia fight. Um, but even then, Jordinas and Guna, Jordinas Ugas, I think, is a, a good fight for Spence. You know, he's very strong, um, a big welterweight. I think he might have been in too, actually oversized for for uh, light welter and probably was struggling to make that weight. Uh, he, he's moved up. He had that uh, fight against Sean Porter, which I also thought he won. Um, but it was interesting when I watched that fight how uh, the, the the story is Sean Porter decided to box, and even then, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I thought uh, it was the the, the strength of Jordina's uh, Ugas which made him want to box. And when I say physical strength, and I don't mean punching power. I think Ugas has a, a a presence about him where he just doesn't get moved back. He uh, stands in front of you and he he moves well in front of you, but he doesn't get moved back often. And we all know what Sean Porter is about. You know, he's a strong, he's a strong, stocky, short uh, welterweight who uh, has been able to bully opponents. And Ugas, we saw he couldn't really bully Ugas and he tried to box Ugas and actually had Ugas winning that fight. Uh, so against Errol Spence, it'll be interesting uh, considering Errol Spence, you know, is, is strong in his own right. Uh, and he has power um, and, and um, they're around the same size. I think Spence is probably slightly naturally bigger. Um, I see this fight going to the cards um, and, and I see this fight being won on um Spence's uh, boxing ability, and even his, I think he's more versatile than, uh, than Ugas, and I think that would be the difference. Uh, I, I see Errol Spence Jr. winning this, um, not necessarily a close fight, but um, not a wide fight neither. I think Ugas will have his moments, but Spence will pull away um, in the last third of this fight and win it. Okay, uh, moving right along. Um, there's a, a fighter that I've been, a, you know, a fan of for uh, a while, um, probably about 10 years, um, Gary Russell Jr. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Um, we know Gary Russell has been uh, trying to get those big fights. He's been calling out a lot of big names over the last few years, uh, most notably uh, Leo Santa Cruz. He's also been uh, calling out uh, Tank Davis and also Devin Haney, um, and, and one of the fighters he called he's been calling out Josh Warrington. Um, his promoter Eddie Hearn sent an offer to uh, Gary Russell Jr. to fight him for one million dollars. One million dollars. Uh, Gary Russell Jr. in turn turned that offer down verbally. Uh, this this is all done verbally, not actual contracts, but he turned it down. And saying that he felt that it was uh, beneath his standards to ac to accept a one million dollar fight against Josh Warrington. Uh, what do you guys uh, thoughts on that? 
I don't know what Gary Russell Jr. actually wants at this point in his boxing career. Um, you know, he turned this fight down, and he's expected to make a mandatory title defense against Ray Vargas. Um, I don't know if that fight would be even more profitable than the than the Josh Warrington fight. Um, he said, I, I read the article. He said there's nobody at 126 that he's that he's really targeting, and then he mentioned you know the likes of of uh, Tank. Haney, Lomachenko, um, and Tank and Haney are really targeting other people. And so him naming these names up to this point don't really mean that much. Uh, he's fought once a year since 2015. He's now 32. And so I, me personally, I would just end by saying me personally, the next news I want the next time I hear Gary Russell Junior's name. I prefer to just hear he's going to fight this person. Yeah, the Gary Russell Junior. and in the way his career has been going is it, very interesting to me. It's kind of for me personally as a fan of, of his. It's kind of disappointing. Um, I I expected a lot more to happen. Um, I remember when uh, they were when HBO was promoting him and Adrian Broner on the same telecast, and when you look at how both of those careers have gone. I, and let me say, I always thought uh, Gary Russell was more talented than, you know, and was, you know, overall better than Adrian Broner. But Adrian Broner, um, he had a whole spectrum of a career. And and, and still, uh, with Gary Russell, I think he, his career can only really be defined by uh, three fights. And it was interesting that when both of those guys were being promoted, I, I used to say to myself, that's interesting. You know what? Those guys are only one way class apart. You know, um, Adrian Brown was at 130 at the time. Gary Russell was at featherweight, which he's, you know, kind of still at. And they could have, HBO could have even, you know, go to boy promotions, could have matched those guys together. You know, it would have been an interesting fight to fight, to see. You know, even though Adrian Broner has a, a, at that point, still have a size advantage, he was really draining down to make um, 130. So that being said, um, it's interesting that Gary Russell, his career is going to be defined by the Three fights, and I say uh, that this Johnny Gonzalez fight, which you know he stopped Johnny Johnny Gonzalez. That was this, uh, you know, get back from uh, his loss. He's come back from his loss with uh, the other fight that's going to define his career, which is a uh, Vasily Lomachenko fight. Which you know, uh, even even in that loss, I think he did show a lot of grit. You know, at that point, Lomachenko was making guys quit. He was making Nicholas Waters quit, and and uh, Guillermo Rigandau and Gary Russell, uh, if it's true that he said that he was really, really, really drained for that fight and, you know, didn't train right, he still gave a good account of himself. It wasn't like he he was just getting two totally, you know, beat up. Um, he was doing, he, he, he was hanging in there, you know, he, he took his. And I, and I actually respect him more after that fight. But, you know, what he says and, and you know his talking and, and his attitude that's something that's kind of you know is irritating to me because I just want him to just fight and get those fights out of the way um I think he and and his his third fight that I think is going to define him is the, the fight with Jojo Diaz I think depending on where 
Diaz career takes him, I think that that's a fight that could be looking that could look better and better for Gary Russell as time goes on. But it all depends. But you don't want a career like that where you have certain one or two wins is going to look better over time. You want to fight all these guys so we all know where you stand. And one million dollars. I mean, I mean, come on, it's money. I mean, it's one million dollars. I mean, yeah, we got taxes, trainer fees, and all that. And even then, he keeps it. He keeps a lot of stuff uh, in camp. It's one million dollars. I mean, it's Josh Warrington. He beats Josh Warrington. I mean, he's back in. I mean, we we know we already all know recognize him as, as, as one of the champs and, and probably the longest reigning champ at 126 right now. But he, if he gets that win against Josh Warrington, I mean, it, it opens the door for more fights. Sometimes you have to take those fights at prices you don't want to take to to get to where you need to get. And and I get it. Russell's main goal, as he says, is to provide you know financial stability for his family. And, you know, he's done well for that. But if he wants to have a legacy and have a career to be to be remembered, I think it's he, he should take some of those fights so he can have his door for bigger fights. He don't want you don't want to just I understand he, he could be he's being ducked by a lot of people also. And Rigandile went through some similar to the same thing, just more severely. You don't want him to to to, to go down the path of a Rigandile where uh, the only fight he does, when he does accept a fight against one of those big names, it's a fight at 135-140 against an opponent where he may be overmatched and lose, and there's, you know, that stain will be on his career, you know, for good. Um, I think this is his chance to really uh, take over 126 pretty much, and even try to make an attempt to take over 130. Um, but he has to play his cards right. And to be to be uh, clear, it's just – it's. I'm not. I, I'm just disappointed with the way his career is going as a, a boxing fan. You know, I expect a lot out of him, but he's 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 providing financial stability for his family. So I can't knock him if that's his reasons for it. All right. So um, yeah, the way I look at it, I think Gary Gary is, is a very intelligent uh, fellow. You know. And I, Times he's overthinking this um, his his career, and I think the other thing is is that he he look at he looks at himself as you know that dude because of the fact that he has such a you know illustrious amateur you know background that some of the guys that are you know at the top of the sport that he still looks at those guys as kind of he's on their level or they're beneath him based on the fact that they were beneath him in the amateurs, you know, and he's a very skilled, talented guy. And then he's also being avoided by other guys as well. So I think um, with him, when I'm saying that he's overthinking this situation or his career too much, I think that he needs to look at it from a different perspective and also see the value that it would be if he moves differently. I heard Sean Porter say, because they, they came out around the same time, you know, when they were in the amateurs together and he had a conversation with Gary Russell and he was talking about um, Gary, like thinking about which moves he should make. And then, you know, and he said some of the same things that you're saying, Bill, that he was hoping that 
after they had that conversation that, you know, his career would have moved in a, like, more of a, where he's more of a known person in boxing, you know what I mean? And then also being one of the top fighters that everybody views that way, you know what I mean? Like, even casual fans and things like that. But I think that he should consider, like, an approach that he should, he should, he should consider, as opposed to trying to negotiate with guys and then you're going to get a low ball offer. And then it's like, man, I can just go ahead and fight this fighter right here. And I'm going to make probably even more, or I'm going to make pretty much the same as I would if I fight this other guy. He has to, he's 32 years old. So he's going to have to get to a point where he's going to have to take short money, but understand that after I get this victory, then that's going to catapult me to being able to generate the income and revenue that I know that I deserve. But you got to take that sacrifice at some point. That's the only way you're going to be able to do it. So I would suggest to him, and he's going to do, you know, obviously he's going to do what it is that you're going to do, but my suggestion would be to go ahead and take that warrant from fight because it's going to give you where you can say, I'm the unified champ at Featherweight. And so that's going to put you in a different stratosphere than other guys. And once you have that unification and have all of those belts, then that can be something that you can use um, as leverage in negotiations. And then you can start demanding the money that you're looking for. But the approach that he's taking now, guys can always continue to avoid him because he's not really been in a weight class. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of the guys that he wants to face. So why would they? And they got a lot of fighters that they can fight you know, already in their weight division. So he's going to always be the odd man out unless he he, he, he um, sacrifices. And so that's all I have to say about that. Gary, I, I like Gary, you know what I mean? And I, I like his skills that he brings to the table, that Jojo Diaz fight that he fought um, a couple years back. I went ahead and I checked that out. You know what I mean? I was there at the MGM. And now, to me, that's the best fight that I've, you know, recall him, him having. You know what I mean? He put on a, a really good display of skills um, in that fight. Anything else you guys want to touch on when it comes to the Gary Russell situation? I think we exhausted pretty much everything we no, can. Sir. Gary, go ahead and, and say a sacrifice, my man. We want to see you, you know, on, a, on the pound for pound list at some point in your career. But, you know, you're going to have to hurry up and do it because, like I say, he's 32 years old and those lower weight classes, that's not a place that you want to be, you know, fighting younger guys as you get closer and closer to like 35 or 40 years old. But the next topic that we're going to touch on is on my main man, Adrian, the problem Broner. He has this uh, comeback fight coming up um, against a guy named uh, Giovanni Santiago. I don't know if you guys seen any clips of Santiago. If you have, how do you see this fight playing out? I haven't seen too many clips of Santiago, but um, Adrian Broner, he's one of those fighters. If he's not, on and training and serious, he can he can look at this like uh, any other casual fan or a box fan who haven't seen San Diego. I go fought, looks at this and say, "Eh, who is he? I can beat this guy." And that's uh, San Diego is undefeated. Yeah, he's been you know he has a good KO record. I'll be careful and tread lightly if I was Adrian Broner because he's getting he's getting older. Uh, he's not as uh, preserved as you know, as Gary Russell, who we just talked about, it's interesting because I think if they if they were done the opposite thing, if they were done what the other one done did, I think their careers would have turned out.
better for both of them. If if Gary Russell would have taken more risk early on and AJ Broner would have stayed at like around 135 part and just not taking certain fights, I think they, they, their careers would have turned out better for both. And Adrian Broner, um, we know he has issues with discipline and mental health issues, and and he always have a lot going on. And if he's dedicated, if he dedicates himself, um, he, he should still be a force. But I, I do think his career is kind of about to pass him by if if he isn't really dedicated anymore. So I, I'm gonna go ahead and pick Santiago to win this fight. I think I think Adrian Broner is is on the downside. He's probably done unless he train unless he rededicate himself. Okay, so we got um, Adrian a problem. Broner, orthodox, five six, sixty nine inch reach, thirty one years old. Santiago, um, and then also Broner is 34, 33, four and one with twenty four KOs. Giovanni Santiago is 14 0, 10 knockouts with one draw. He's thirty one. Five seven seven inch reach. Now AB, you know, if you think about it, he's 0-2-1 in his last three fights, and also that last win that he had against Adrian Granados in 2017, he won that by split decision. AB style, you know, he he's morphed into a, a flawed copy of Money May. You know, that's offensively inactive and defensively uh, kind of inefficient and inept. But at its best. You know, AB, you know, he, he, he can counterpunch really well. Um, matter of fact, he counters with, with, with some power, you know, when he's at his best. And then, you know, his primary weapon is that counter left hook. And then he also has a power, uh, powerful straight right hand. Now, I look, like I said, I, I saw Santiago, some highlights of, of him. And um, I must say, if AB doesn't knock this dude out, you know, <laughs> I would say if you don't knock this guy out in four rounds, my advice to AB is just go ahead and apply for a PPE loan, bro. It started. <laughs> you can't beat this dude. Just retire, man. I'm telling you, the guy is like slow, wide punches. He fights like in, in like a club fight setting, you know. And so, I got AB. You know, AB says he wants to fight for a title at 140 this year, and you know, he just named the opponent this week. The fight's supposed to be. In two weeks, um, you know, AB has been training for quite some time. Um, I would imagine that a his management would not put him against anyone that they know he couldn't look good against at this point in his career. Um, I said this before in a previous podcast, but um, it seems that he was in a depression and he's kind of come back from that, and um, you know, he kind of went through. A, a spell where he he, he kind of went broke during this time. Um, I saw recently he had posted on, on Instagram that he has $13 left in his name and, you know, had his cash app on, on there and stuff like that. Um, and I'm mentioning this stuff not to be gossipy, but to, to say that I hope that this is like a sign that he is generally hungry to be uh, the best boxer that he can be. Um. I am expecting for him to win. I, I hope that he looks good, but you know, when you you take a lot of time away from boxing, you're 32, you know, you put certain things in your body 
you know, that's going to take a toll on top of his, his habits in between camps. So I would expect him to win this fight, probably by knockout. Um, I am interested to see where he goes from here, but I expect him to win this fight. Have y'all seen that guy that AB is about to fight? No, I haven't seen him. All right, no, you, you might want to change your prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll check him out. But I do it. I do it based off of no, the mentality of Broner. It's like if you train, if Broner trains, he should win. Babe. But I, th- I think at some point, all those things are going to catch up to him. No. I just believe that. Like, it's going to catch up to him. You can't – boxing is not a sport that, that you, can, you can keep on uh, cheating based off your talent because he is talented, you know. But at some point, it's going to run out, you know, for him. I, no, I hear what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, just look at who he's fighting, though. Like, all that is true. You see, everything you're saying is accurate. Right, right. I can't be that, dude. Like, come on, man. Like, I'm so, just – no, it's like fighting like Logan Paul or somebody like that. You know what I mean? And Logan Paul, I would like I'm saying the caliber of what Logan and Jake is, I think that they would beat that dude. You know what I mean? If they were the same thing. I was gonna ask you what these guys, man. But that that right there, A B should be okay in this fight. So next week we have this upcoming Saturday, we have Jojo Diaz, who is scheduled to fight Shafkat Zan Rakimov. Well, how do you guys? All see right, going? so we got this uh, JoJo Diaz fight versus uh, Rockman. Um, JoJo Diaz is 28 years old, southpaw, 5'6", 64 inch reach. He's 31, one with 15 KOs. His only loss was to Gary Russell. Um, his opponent is five eight and a half, 15 and 0. Um, he's 26 years old. He's also a southpaw. Um, JoJo Diaz, he does really really good body work. Um, as he showed in his last fight against Tevin Farmer, very good um, combo punching. And he's very sharp. He's a very sharp fighter um, in in a square circle. His opponent, this is going to be a good fight, man. He's an excellent fighter. He throws some great combinations, good jab, also um, some really, really nice constant pressure that he applies throughout the fight. Only thing that I saw with him and the highlights that I watched is that he needs to tighten his defense up a little bit, but everything else is A1. This is going to be for JoJo Diaz's IBF uh, belt. Um, you know, like I said, JoJo, when he fought Gary Russell, um, he was outworked and outskilled by Gary Russell. And then when he won his title against Tevin Farmer, he just basically outhungered uh, Farmer for that belt last year. What I didn't know about Jojo Diaz, he, he has like a history with Tank Davis where they like have a back and forth uh, type situation. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to get past this opponent that they might put him in with Tank Davis um, pretty soon. So for um, those belts. Now, like I said, his opponent, I saw him, he fought a guy named Azinga Uzeli. Uzeli is pretty good as well, but that guy applied a tremendous amount of pressure on him. Caught him with a, a left, a straight left. I want to say it was like the eighth round and then just put him away. This fight right here is a 50-50 fight. This is not an easy fight for JoJo Diaz. Um, really, I would have to see more in order to make a prediction. So right now, I just have it as a 50-50 fight. But this is going to be a really good scrap. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, you know, I watched a little bit of clips. And um, the challenger has great footwork. And he can close the distance quickly. 
Um, he is a mandatory challenger for this belt, and so you know this is his first chance. Um, this is U.S. debut as well, and so this is really his his shot. Um, Diaz doesn't have he, he's a shorter fighter, um, does not have a ton of power, and if this power doesn't do anything, you know there's a chance that that Rockamov could walk through him. I I will give this. I'm willing to 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 give it to the challenger in an upset decision. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Will. This is a 50-50 fight, and I can see uh, Rockinoff winning this uh, based off what I've seen of him. Um, Rockinoff is a is a pressure fighter. He's good and close, um, but he he's not from a distance. I, I haven't seen him really uh, pose a threat at a distance. You know, if you fight him at a distance, I think he's beatable. But JoJo Diaz doesn't fight that way he's more of a uh an inside fighter you know he he's you know strong he's he, he was definitely big for featherweight uh i think he might even been draining that um gary russell fight he, but even in that performance that was a gusty performance and that's what i mean that what, what jojo diaz uh does from here on out can make gary russell look good or bad if he if he wins this fight and let's say he beats tank davis or something like that or even puts up a good fight it makes Gary Russell's win over him looks really, really good. But if Rockinoff pulls this off, which is really a possibility, I think that win is not going to look as good, especially if Rockinoff is able to, to stop the, you know, the, the tough in game Jojo Diaz. Um, I, I see this being a, a very, very close fight. Uh, the, the biggest flaw I see in Rockinoff is he, he, he doesn't seem to be a distance fighter. And someone like uh, – even though he's a lot smaller, I think someone like Gary Russell or even a Chris Colbert will, will make Rockinoff look pretty basic um, because he relies on being at a certain, at a close range, at a certain range. But JoJo is going to, you know, he's, he likes to fight at that range also. So it's going to be a really, really tough fight. Um, this might be a, a bomb burner. This might be a really, really good one. Uh, it's too early to say whether it's going to be fight a year or anything like that. But this is going to be a good fight, and I look forward to seeing it. Yeah, and also no, I saw in that good. fight with Vazelli uh, that before um, before Rockinoff dropped him, he was he was kind of buzzed himself, you know. But at the same time, Jojo Diaz hasn't shown that type of of, of power, you know, to to be able to stop with Rockinoff. But I, I see Rockinoff can can be hurt, you know. So moving right along. Um, we have an, another guy in, in that weight range uh, between 126 and 135. Uh, the current guy that's sitting at the top at uh, lightweight, Tiafimo Lopez. Um, he gave us a speech uh, regarding uh, De- Devin Haney saying he got played. And he's showing his belts and he, he uh, talked about, you know, that he, you know, he has the franchise and the regular belt. He was listening off the champions. This this actually made me confusing because of how many belts there actually are, and this whole title belt, regular champ, and all that WBA, WBC is it, really you know giving me a headache. So I don't want to really explain it. <laughs> if listeners want to look it up, they can. Um, but pretty much, he's kind of you know making fun of Devin Haney, saying I got all the belts and all that. And you know, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on on that? So, I, I watched the the kind of entertaining interview that that uh, Lopez did for, with Fight Hype, uh, where he flashed both the WBC franchise and regular belts. 
um, along with the certificates of authenticity, uh, where he made the claim that Haney got played. Um, now, Haney's supposed to be the super champ, but in his interview, when they asked Lopez to explain, like, how he became, you know, how, how he became, I guess, upgraded, so to speak, he didn't really do a good job of explaining uh, how the status changed. He just said that it changed. Here are the certificates of authenticity. Now, <laughs> did you guys see those certificates? I saw, I saw him put it up there. I didn't, I didn't get a chance, like, to read it or anything like that. I read some of the comments, and, and they pointed to, like, how it had different fonts on it. And I, I I had to go back. I had to double back. And they had that man's name in Comic Sans on, the, on these certificates of authenticity. And I'm like, what what's happening here, you know? So, and then I went back to the WBC, WBC's website, and they still have Haney listed as the lightweight champion. They have Haney as a, as a champion with his picture, um, you know, kind of big. They have Garcia. Uh, listed as interim champ, and they have Lopez as the franchise champion. So I don't know if that if they made the change um, on the website and then decided to change it back, or if they never made a change, or if the you know their their, their developer is not on it. But this seems like more of on Mauricio Suleiman how he's kind of running somewhat of a, for lack of a better word, kind of a clown show at, at WBC. Because you have two young guys thinking they're the champion, like. But all I know is what I saw, and those certificates look shaky. I don't, I don't know. I don't know who's the champion, but I, I wish they would just fight at this point, and and have the actual champion from that. Man, I'm like fight the dude, or don't say nothing at all. I'm like, why are you saying? I don't care about how many belts you got, what belts they are, or who has the real belt. Either you fight Haney, or don't say anything at all. You know. Chalk it up, move up to 140. But I don't want to hear all this, like you said, Danny. I don't hear a clown show about how many belts that that who has what and all this, this and that. Man, fight, fight. You know, it's like you get one win, which is a good win. You get one win, and these fighters think they're Floyd Mayweather or Manny Packer or Canelo Alvarez and think they're the 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 um the cash cow. He doesn't even have an Adrian Broner fan base. You know, Adrian Broner has a bigger fan base than he does. And I don't mean to, you know off on him or beat him down because he's a good fighter. But you open your mouth, you invite that type of criticism because you think you're bigger than what you actually are. Ryan Garcia has a bigger fan base than Teofimo Lopez does, probably. You know, so either you're going to fight the guy or you're not going to fight the guy. But I don't want to hear about who has what. All you're showing is that you're paying, that, that, that all these fighters are paying the, the, these uh, sanctioning fees to these com- these belt companies and making them more richer. Basically, you- you're basically just saying that WBC, WBA, they're just nothing but pimps, and you're paying them. You know, I don't. We don't care about uh, uh, belts. We care about wins and who's beating who. If you beat, it, it, put it this way, if they- if they took away all the belts right now, just just or if he got let's say Tiafimo Lopez gets stripped of his title and Devin Haney gets tri- stripped of their title, if they fight. Whoever wins that fight is the champion at 135. Doesn't matter who has a has a physical belt. So fight the dude or or, or be quiet. Right. When I first heard it, his comments, I was like, oh my God, here we go again. But I only heard like a small portion of it. It wasn't the whole interview. Then I, I had an opportunity to listen to the whole interview. And then my, my thoughts changed because he made some really good points. Some of the points that he made, it's like 
Um, he said that Haney priced himself out of the Lomachenko fight. True. He said Tank avoided Lomachenko and didn't fight him. True. He said Ryan wasn't ready to fight Lomachenko. I totally agree. And then the other thing that he mentioned was the fact that they did all of that, but I was the one who was willing to take the sacrifice. All the demands that Loma had, I went ahead and went with those demands because I wanted that opportunity and I took advantage of the opportunity. These guys haven't done anything. He also said, he gave uh, Ryan props for stepping up and fighting somebody like a top 10 challenger in Luke. And he also gave him some props for getting up from getting knocked down. But then he also took more shots at Tank and Devin based on their resume. He's like, you know, tell me who Tank fought at 135. Who has he beaten at 135? The one-legged um, Gamboa. And then he also talked about Devin's resume, you know. And some of it is not Devin's fault, you know, because of the fact that he does get avoided. And we'll see on um, what he does against Fortuna, because Fortuna is the top 10 lightweight as well. So then yeah, all those comments that he was making was true, but it made sense, you know, what, what he's talking about. Because I, I get together that same type of vibe and feel for Canelo. And some people say, well, you should fight him. And I'm like, well, at least allow the dude to get a victory underneath his belt. I think that's unfair for somebody who's taking over the risk to have to continue to fight like tough opponents and the other guy, only thing he has to do is prepare for you. Like, I don't think that's fair. And I, I think that uh, Tiafimo has a point when he was saying what it is he was saying. Now, I don't like how he was saying it because he's dangling the belts and he's basically telling you why he shouldn't have to fight those guys. That I didn't like. Um, and he's really kind of putting those guys on a pedestal because he's not saying that about any other lightweights. Like, you have to do this before I fight you. You have to do this before I fight you. And so he's really like indirectly putting them up higher than what he what he thinks he's doing. Now, the only thing that I I wanted to hear out of his mouth, like he, he made some good points. Like those dudes got the opportunity to fight Lomachenko, either they were scared, they priced themselves out, or they weren't ready. I, I feel him on all of that. And then also I feel him on the fact that he sacrificed, right? But in some of these guys, I think that they need somebody to – kind of coach them before they get in front of the cameras because the one key ingredient that he was missing was this. He should have just simply said, now don't get it twisted. Now, if we get a 60-40 split, they all can get it. He didn't say that. He was just saying stuff, the reason why they shouldn't have to, you know, I'll fight them in the future after they do these type of things. But if you that dude, then you don't you won't smoke with anybody. And all of them are are, are, are like underneath you. You know what I mean? Like you should, you have to approach them like that. Like, no, I'm the big dog. Like them little dudes, like if they want it, it's 60, 40, we can go ahead and do it tomorrow. You know what I mean? But he didn't say that. And that left you with like a bad taste in your mouth while looking at the interview, like his body language and all of that type of stuff, like dangling up belts and, you know, e, I got these belts, you don't have them and you can't, you know, he was lit, taking it like that. And I didn't, I didn't, that part I didn't like. But at the end of the day, like I said, some of the points that he made, they were accurate. They were truthful. But, dude, let them know that, you know, if, if the money's right, if, if, if the contract's right, anybody can get it. And that's all I wanted to hear out of his mouth, and I didn't hear that. All yeah, right. So, Deontay Wilder, this is our last topic of the um, of this episode. 
Deontay Wilder's ex-trainer Mark Breland finally responded to the champ's accusations over the Fury loss. What do you guys think about Mark Breland's response? Uh, I'm a little in the middle because he made some great points, but he also made some touche points also. <laughs> so, um, of course, you know, Wilder has been uh, critical of Mark Breland. We know that he was, you know, he fired Breland, who was the second uh, man in the corner under JDS uh, for Deontay Wilder. And uh, Mark Breland was the one who made the decision to stop the fight against uh, Tyson Fury. I mean, it's off a chain of events where Wilder seemed to be, you know, uh, blame, he seemed to blame Breland for all of that, you know. Um, so he was very uh, critical of Mark Breland, said, and he also accused Mark Breland of, of spiking his water and things of that nature. So Breland finally responded. Um, I'm, it got to the point, I thought Breland would have responded earlier, but because it took this long, I didn't think he was going to respond. But fair, he should respond. I mean, if a, if a man attacks you <laughs> publicly, especially uh, someone that you're helping, you help to become a champion, I mean, uh, you should respond. I mean, he, he owes it to himself. He owes it to, you know, us who follow him. So, um, he made a, he made some some good points. Says uh, that Wilder only has his power, and we'll see how far that takes him. Which is certainly you know that it's some truth to that. He also made some. It seemed like it was some jabs, like his saying that Wilder's career is over and he's done. Which I'm not sure if, if Wilder's totally done. He has power. He can knock out anyone pretty much. Still, uh, I think it depends on how Wilder decides to, to rebound. But he also brought in he said some details which are about Wilder's training habits which is kind of uh cliche but then again if somebody's gonna you know attack you sometimes you gotta attack them and that Deontay Wilder doesn't jump rope um that and the biggest point that he made is is is, is about the hand glove controversy is like okay which I thought was a valid point look you say you accuse uh Tyson Fury of having uh, egg waste or his hands are wrapped illegally or what have you. But I'm the second in command. I'm not in the dressing room with him. Jay Diaz is the first is in command. Jay Diaz was right there when he was getting his hands wrapped. If, if, he, if he put something in there, Jay Diaz, you know, would have caught it, right? So if he didn't, why are you firing me? Why, why Jay Diaz still have a job, you know? So it, it, it's opened up a can of worms. It's it's kind of um, – I don't really like when when uh, dirt gets aired out like that. But at the same time, uh, Wilder, he asked for that smoke, you know. I, I thought it was touche breathing uh, to, to, to attack Wilder's resume and say that, you know, I would beat the guys he beat and this and this and that. Um, I mean, come on. that that's You don't have to do all that. Uh, Wilder, Wilder's resume is, is – pretty good for the, the, the era of heavyweights that he currently fights in because it's not like even it's not the strongest division but it's, it's stronger than it was when you know Vladimir Klitschko was running it so um but also he, he makes some good points of, of uh not everyone can take a loss which I, I don't know if he, he knows I mean of course he trains he, he he used to train Wilder, so he knows a lot of stuff about him. And I, I'm of that opinion also that, you know, Wilder doesn't seem to – he hasn't taken his loss well. Um, 
but at the same time, I don't. I still don't like the the idea of Breland airing out the dirt the dirt like that. <laughs> I think he should have he should have responded, but he shouldn't have responded so harshly. I'm gonna let you boys cook on that. You know, I don't really want to get off into you know those guys um, their issue. You know, what I mean, I don't even like the black on black you know messiness that's that's going on um, as far as all that negativity and negative energy and you know, all of that type of stuff. I just wish that, you know, they can agree to disagree, you know, while they felt a certain way. I think the biggest thing for him was that Freeland, um, you know, stopped the fight and he wanted to go out on the shield and, you know, some other things as well. But I, I really don't want to get off into that. I, I really respect both guys. You know, I grew up a Mark Breland fan, 1984 Olympian, one of the high, highly touted guys, probably the most highly touted, and um, decorated amateur that we've had um, in the United States. You know, he had a, a pretty decent pro career. Um, probably wasn't what people expected based on what he accomplished in, in amateurs, but he was really solid. He, matter of fact, he was very similar, you know, as far as that right hand and jab. Um, that Wilder, you can tell that he's influenced by Freeland. And then you know how I feel about the champ. You know what I mean? I like what he represents, what he brings to the table. As far as just, you know, for the most part, the man that he shows that to be, you know, and he tried to be a man of his word. Um, and then what I like most about him is the fact that, you know, like I said, he put black first. He doesn't have any of that inappropriate behavior where he put other people in front of the group of people that he belongs to. So I, I highly admire that from him. And like I said, for him to want to take Juneteenth as the day that he fights annually on like people fight on Mexican Independence Day and Cinco de Mayo. You know what I mean? That, that, that says a lot about my brother. So as far as this incident, I'm not going to really touch on too much of that. Hopefully that's it. You know what I mean? You know, really got what it is. He need to get off his chest. And, you know, like I said, they can agree to disagree. That's fair. And I feel the same way. I, I wish it hadn't come to this, especially with, with two black men um, who have made it very far in their careers. And I, I, I want to say I wish both of them well and what they do from here also. Um, Vell already made some good points. Uh, the only thing that I'll touch on is is, is what Breland said, where he says, um, where Breland says, some people can't take a loss. Don't blame everybody. Go back and think about yourself. And, and, and saying that, you know, he doesn't jump rope. He doesn't hit the speed bag. He doesn't hit heavy bag. And my concern is you know, for, for Wilder, like, I want to see him, I would like to see him become a champion again. I want to see him be the best fighter that he can be. And, you know, that that's, I, I can't really speak on what his training habits up to this point, but I did, the only video that I've seen him, surface of him training since the Fury loss was the one a few weeks ago where he was in the gym in his boxing stance, and the guy was throwing the speed cones in his direction, and he was kind of using it as a defensive drill. And, you know, that was cause for concern to me, to be honest. And I don't think he he's named a head trainer. I know Mayweather wanted to train him. He turned that down. And so, you know, I, I just have genuine concerns about his willingness to actualize his potential as a, as a fighter. Um, but again, I do wish him yes, the best. Sir, do That's we have anything really else got. we want to speak on before we close things out? No, I just want to say. I would uh, also just add rest in peace okay. to the legend. 
away from cancer. Yeah, rest in peace to Leon Spinks. Um, uh, great champion. He stepped up early in his career, uh, and it paid off for him where he beat Muhammad Ali. Uh, it was kind of, I think, it's kind of a gift and a curse because um, because uh, he got that fight early, and he's he's forever remembered for that. Um, at the same time, on the flip side, uh, he fizzled out pretty much after that. You know, we, of course, Ali beat him in a rematch. Um, and, and he, he seemed to never really got to the plateau he could have gotten because, I mean, he's a gold medalist, uh, 1976 gold medalist, the same year that Sherry Ray Leonard won his gold medal. So uh, so it, it makes me – sometimes I, I like to go back and think what could have been. It makes me think what he would have been in the 80s had he, you know, waited in his career and, and waited to get certain fights. Um but then again, when Ali calls you, you pick up the phone. You know, Ali was a cash cow then. Um, but other than that, I, I just want to say that I, I, I know I've told you guys personally, but publicly, I appreciate you, gentlemen. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate talking boxing. Um, in in times where it's, you know, I, with stressful or busyness, it gives me that time to escape. Uh, it, it makes me, it's, it's definitely freeing to to. To be a, a certain aspect of my personality, uh, I know we, we enjoy texting each other, you know, throughout the week. Um, I, of course, y'all know I made a mistake and sent some stuff, <laughs> some boxing-related stuff to you know uh, my team at work, and you know, they kind of clown me on it and that nature. And I, and while I was very uh, embarrassed by it, it, it was also freeing to me because even though I, I was kind of embarrassed because I don't want people to think that. I don't do work or whatever like that because I'm pretty busy actually and, and I get it in. But at the same time, it's freeing to for them to see an aspect of my personality that they don't always see, you know. And I and I enjoy talking boxing with these gentlemen. Well, see, you have to um, say that because you want to make sure that you don't get fired. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's all good. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> but that 76 Olympic team that Spinks was a part of, I think they had. I can't remember. They had Leo uh, Randolph. He won a, I mean, a, a gold medal. Then you had Howard Davis. I think he was like the most highly touted out of all of them. You had Sugar Ray. You had both Spinks brothers. So they had a really good. It was. I think it's in between them and that 1984 Olympic team. At the which Olympic team was the best that we've had so far. But, yeah, man, on that note, man, we'll go ahead and uh, start wrapping things up. Again, make sure you catch us on our social media platforms, also YouTube, subscribe and like. Um, I'm thinking about getting a phone um, that you can call in and then we can have some you know, guests on here. And um, I think, matter of fact, you can call. Just go ahead and call 281-330-8004. You know, just hit us on the low. Mike Jones, who, you don't remember that? <laughs> yeah, put his, number, put his public, public number out there. Yeah. They, they, they say you call, you'll get them too. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. But, yeah, man, hopefully you enjoy your Monday, and uh, we'll 